Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Hallelujah. God is so good. God is good. God is good. Um, I don't know why, but I've just asked, um, I've asked Paul just to stay up here for a little bit, and I want you, Paul, just to just minister unto the Lord for a little bit. I just feel that I want to hear your heart. Just play something unto the Lord. Let's just uh, let's just close our eyes and just um, have some personal worship before we go into the Word. Lord, you are so good. You're so incredible. You're so amazing. And um, we are like forever um, like taken aback in awe by your just beauty and your awesomeness towards us. And um, we thank you for your mightiness, for your awesomeness. Thank you for all that you have in store for us, the amazing um, 
things you have in store for this church, Lord. And even as I was um, uh, hearing your heart for this morning, I kind of captured your enthusiasm and your kind of heart for us as a body of believers and how excited you are about our future as we move together. And it's it was quite taken aback, really, to see how much you are invested in us as a body. And right now, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you've been here since um, the morning. By I invite you again to come. And really, we want to just want to hear your heart this morning. You know, it's not about a man or about a message as such. It's about your heart. So um, thank you that you're here. And thank you that you're, you speak this morning. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to speak about servanthood today. And um, I want to speak about it, or I want to share really from, um, I guess, the perspective of, of, of Jesus and also some of my own personal experiences. Um, I like to firstly want to say that it's, um, it's a word that you don't hear about often these days. It's um, servanthood, as is described in the Bible, is, is um, uncomfortably juxtaposed against popular culture yeah servanthood as we hear it in the bible is it sits uncomfortably with common culture because common culture or the culture of the day is very much about me i you know we have iphones and we take selfies just need i say anymore (laughs) the culture is all about me it's all about i and um when we see servanthood, when we see um, what it is to serve in the light of popular culture, it sits, it's almost like so opposite to how popular culture is. It's almost, it's, it's uncomfortable in some respects. Um, and also, I think a lot of um, leaders maybe, um, I guess maybe they, they shy away from it because of the fact that it's such a it can, it's almost bordering on control if you don't if you don't hear it in the right way, because true servanthood is really um, quite a, a, a strong uh, word. Um, these days, and I'm not criticising any church, but we have um, you know amazing churches, amazing super, and they call them seeker-friendly churches, where you probably won't hear a word about about servanthood. You will hear about things like God's love, which is amazing, and we need to hear about God's love, and that's incredible. Grace is amazing as well. We need to hear about that. But what I'm talking about is also something which I think undergirds that and really, as we will begin to realize, characterizes Jesus' ministry on the earth and characterizes our walk on the earth as well. You know, the whole idea of servanthood. So um, let's go straight in, yeah? Amen. I guess the main scripture I'd like to use to um, speak about this is uh, Philippians 2 from five to nine. Now this scripture, or this passage is known as the kenosis of Christ. Now, kenosis of Christ, the kenosis, which is, now kenosis means the empty, the emptying of Christ. And um, let me just um, just read it. It says, let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility, who though being essentially one with God, um, and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God, did not think 
this equality with God to be something eagerly grasped or retained, but stripped himself of all privileges and right dignity, so as to assume the guise of a servant. And in that he became like men and was born as a human being. And after that he had appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further and carried out his obedience to obedience to extreme death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, because, God has, uh, because he stooped so low, God has exalted him and freely bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. Amen. So, now let me, ask by, let me begin by asking a real, really, really intellectually deep question. Yeah, you ready? No, you're not. <laughs> Who here would like to be like Jesus? Yeah. Okay, now I'm, I'm a bit concerned because some people didn't put their hands up. But I'll pray for you at the end, yeah? <laughs> okay, we'd all like to be like Jesus. And, you know, what we're going to be to realize is that, funny, this says, let this same attitude and heart and mind be in you as in Christ Jesus. Now, although it's not the word used here, but one of the words for heart so for, for mind is the word cardia, which um, also sometimes gets translated as heart. You know, because in the Greek culture, I'm led to believe and I've, I've been taught, uh, the whole idea of your heart and your mind was seen as synonymous. Yeah? And quite basically, if your attitude, if your heart is right, your attitude will be right as well. So let this mind be in you. So his heart... When he says, let, you, let your mind, let his mind be in you, it then goes to describe the servanthood nature of God. So, really, if we want to be like Jesus, if we really want to kind of capture his heart, we also need to have the heart of a servant. It is, um, I would say, synonymous with the character and the, um, uh, the heart, the mind of Christ is to be a servant, is to capture the servant-hearted nature of God. Yeah? So, the, the word servant is a word called doulos. Not dulux, the paint. I know you're thinking that. But doulos. Now, this is a real, it's one of my favorite, well, yeah, kind of one of my favorite words really because I like, I like it. But servanthood in, in the Bible is to, uh, one of the words used is to be a slave a bondman of servile condition, a slave. Um, metaphor is one who gives himself up to another's will, um, whose service is used by Christ, extending and advancing his cause among men. So it's to be devoted to another in this regard of one's own interests. So to serve is to, the, the, the scriptural, the biblical um, or one of the Bible words that describes it, is to be devoted to another all right, in disregard to your own interests. All right. So Christ, as, as we'll begin to realize, everything he did was, he did nothing at all for himself. Everything he did was for the Father, for what he was um, called to do. Next slide, please. So you see, um, yeah, two scriptures here. Matthew 2028, 20, just as the Son of Man came not to be waited on but to serve, 
to give his life as a ransom for many, the price paid to send free. Um, John 4, 34. Now, this is quite cool. I, I like, funny enough, I quite like the way the, the King James Version says it. Um, but the Amplified says, um, Jesus said to them, my food is to, do the, is to do the will, pleasure of him who sent me, and to accomplish and completely finish his work. The, the King James says, my meat and my drink, my meat and drink. You know, the, the, the very basis of his, his existence, the, the reason why he was here, every single thing he did was to do one thing, to serve the will of the Father, to serve another man or to serve another entity, which we'll go on to, to, to talk about. So really, the heart of a servant is to, or the, yeah, to capture, can I ask a question again, who wants to be like Jesus? Should I say, who still wants to be like Jesus? Okay, right. <laughs> Is that kind of self-sacrificing serving that we see? And um, if we go on to the next slide, a key principle. Now, I actually think a key, a key principle in the whole of Christendom, in order to be a Christian, really, to be honest with you, you have to be able to sacrifice. Um, I said this to somebody the other day. You know, I believe Christianity is a disruptive belief system. Um, what do I mean by disruptive? Well, I work in, I work in something called um, cloud services. Now, I sell cloud services, which is basically just a way of uh, provisioning IT from another um, set of infrastructure somewhere else, not in your own building. Now, we call it a disruptive technology, not because it's a bad technology, but because it, it changes every single thing about the way you work. And it changes it for good as well, Yeah. So Christianity is a disruptive, um, in not in a bad sense, but because of the fact that it requires you to change literally everything. You cannot be the same and be a Christian. You can't, you can't just continue just as you were before. Once Jesus comes into your life, you know, if you don't know it from day one, you'll be known by day two or three or four or 15 or 16 or maybe 59, you will know something needs to change. And the thing about the great, the great thing about it is that you never stop changing. And not only that, but the great thing about it is it's what you're changing into. Yeah, you begin to change into him, etc. So it's disruptive because it changes and it moves things. And sacrifices is a real key part of this. And um, the first time we see about sacrifices in, in, in um, Genesis where, you know, uh, Adam, Adam and Eve sinned and God had to kill an animal to cover their sin. Yeah? So, if we do another, um, this is my favorite statistic about sacrifices. Now, when, when, um, uh, when David first wanted to carry the ark back to Israel, um, what he did is he put it on a cart, and, and, and they all kind of brought the, the ark, uh, they started rolling the ark. The ark fell, and somebody put their hand on it and died. Yeah? So, they put it into a place called um, Obed-Emoth, a man called Obed-Eman, who put it into his house. And David sought the Lord to find out, how do we carry this, this ark? How do we carry the presence of God back to Israel? The way they did it was every six paces, every six paces between Obed-Edom's house and, and Israel, and Israel, they gave an offering. It took about 9,280 sacrifices to bring the presence of God back home. And I would, I, I like to say this to the worship team quite a bit, that 
You know, it takes sacrifice to carry the presence of God. It takes, it takes, um, it takes that element of sacrifice to really carry what God is, is put in your life as well, you know. And that's one of my favorite things where we hear about sacrifice. It takes a lot of sacrifice. And next click. Um, the death of Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice of a sacrifice life. Yeah? He, he had already gave up. The Bible says he gave up this. He gave up his, his godly state. He gave up and became like a man. The death, the sacrifice, the, um, uh, the crucifixion was actually just the next logical step of a life that was already sacrificed. Yeah? And he also invites us to live that life of sacrifice unto him so that what he wants us to do can be accomplished. Now, I just wanted to, to share a little bit about my own journey, a little bit about my journey. And um, I want to talk about a... Um, I used, to be, um, I used to be an elder at my last church. And um, one day we were having, a, we were having a, an elders meeting. It was a prayer meeting. We were having a time of prayer and, you know, the, the presence of God really came in. It was amazing and incredible. And, and my pastor started prophesying. So he, he prophesied there's three elders, myself, um, a guy called Gene, and also... No, I've forgotten his name now. Chris, Chris, Chris at the time, yeah. So what it was is that, so, you know, my pastor started prophesying. So he prophesies over, over Chris, and he's saying, you know, wow, you know, God's going to bless your business, you're going to be amazing, and God's going to open doors of finances, and, and all these wonderful things were going on. I thought, wow, what an incredible prophecy. I thought, wow, can't wait till my turn. Amen. So then he, he, he turns to Gene. No, actually, the, Chris was more about ministry. Now he turned to Gene, and Gene had his own business. And he started prophesying about he's going to have an amazing business, and God's going to open doors, and finances are going to flowing, and it's going to be amazing. So I'm getting really excited. I'm thinking, what? Yeah, okay, so I'm here now. I'm now waiting for my prophecy. And he goes, okay, Mike, you're barbed wire, man. You are barbed wire man. Amen. And he explained what it meant. Now, I'm thinking to myself, thank you, God, for that. Uh, anything about money? <laughs> about ministry? Barbed wire man is, is um, um, or how he described it is, if you look at the First World War, they, you know, they had the trenches. Now, Basically, each trench was um, fenced by barbed wire. Somebody had to get up and had to run towards the barbed wire. Yeah. Now, the way you describe barbed wire man is the man, the first man who got to the barbed wire. Yeah. That made the way for the others to go to follow on. Yeah. And um, I, I didn't. I thought, thank you. I still didn't really understand it. But what what it is is that. Um, what God spoke to me about and subsequently has, um, I, I guess, characterized my life of service is just that. It's that idea of, of going before others and making the way for others. Yeah? And, um, you know, I've never felt qualified for anything God has asked me to do. Never, you know? Um, 
for some reason, he always calls me into some sort of leadership position. And I know there's other people that are great or probably have more natural leader, leadership gifts than I do. But what it is, is that one thing he, he's learned about or he knows about, which I didn't know about myself, is that when he says something, I say yes. And then I ask the questions afterwards. It's that thing about saying this. It's that thing about, um, I guess, obeying what he says. And sometimes even to the detriment of myself and sometimes of my family as well. Um, that's that ability to say yes is the only qualification I can think of, really, why God has actually said to me to be, you know, in any, his calling upon my life. And, you know, um, but I thought it was quite funny, though. Because <laughs> I was really expecting something amazing. I was expecting that, you know, you're going to get the whole world and money. But he said, you're barbed wire, man. But the thing about it is that was a word for me. And, um, you know, there's been times in my own service that things have been really, really tough, really, really difficult. There have been times when I've been moving towards something and I, and I realize that what I'm seeing, nobody else can see. But then I realize I'm Bob Wireman. I'm the one running towards something that nobody else is running towards. So I'm the one who's going to have to go and, and get my hand bloodied or maybe even get shot, to be honest with you. <laughs> but you know what happens? As a result of that, other people can come after me. You know? And that's not to pick myself up. It's just what God has, has said. And you know, I'm just saying that's what, what God has said in my own life. Um, anyway, that's, my, that's a little bit of a, my journey in worship, my journey in um, Serving. So, anyway, how do we serve? How do we serve? Okay, well, by serving people. Hey, don't you love people? Yeah? Yeah. Okay, I do. <laughs> you know, you have to love people to serve. You have to love people. You've got to love people beyond, beyond the beyond sometimes because people are not easy, always. Um, I, I often wonder, I wonder about Jesus, because just imagine you have 12 disciples, and you know at some point he knew one of those disciples were going to betray him. So you've got 12 disciples, and you know one's going to betray you. Um, you've got 12 disciples, you know that they're going to deny you at some point. You know, that's, they're going to absolutely ignore the fact that you, you exist but you still have to serve those people with everything you have. That's what I'm talking about when it talks about self-sacrificial. To serve people, you need the grace of God. <laughs> um, I like what, um, what's his name? Um, Graham, Graham Cook says, he calls people grace growers. People are grace growers, yeah? Because you need grace to be able to serve people. They help you to grow, you know, and, um, you know, I know I'm a grace girl for my wife. I know she's one for me as well. Um, but, <laughs> no, I'm only joking. The thing about it is, you know, that whole idea of, of, of um, you know, sometimes, you know, if, if, you're, if you're serving to get the appreciation of people, then you're in the wrong game. You know? It's not about that. And I'll, I'll, there's a scripture that speaks about that a bit later on. Yeah, so everything Jesus did was for the people. The healings, the, 
the miracles and everything was, was focused, was very, very people-centric. So ultimately, we serve him by our service to others. Yeah? And, um, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm, if it's, you know, somebody, if you like, in the, um, uh, in the uh, more public um, expressions of service, if you're a musician, you're a singer or a musician or singer or um, dancer or whatever or, or, or pastor, but everything we do, whether you're serving the coffee, whether you're doing, it's all about how the nature of how you serve people, which determines how you serve God. Yeah? The first um, description of, of um, servanthood is the whole idea of, of um, uh, that faithfulness to somebody else's vision. And um, if you can turn your Bibles to Luke 16, 1 to 3. Sorry, 1 to 13. 1 to it should be 1 to 13, actually. Um, but I'll just very quickly read it. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a manager, manager of his estate, and accusations against this man were brought to him, that he was squandering his master's possessions. And he called them and said, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of the management of my affairs, for you can be, for you can be my manager no longer. And the manager of the estate said to himself, What shall I do, seeing that my master is taking the management away from me? I am not able to dig, and I'm not able, and I'm not, I'm, I am ashamed to beg. I've come to know what I would do, so that my master may accept and welcome me into their houses when I am put out of my management. So I summoned the master's debtors one by one and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures, about 900 gallons of oil. And he said to him, take back your written acknowledgement of my obligation and sit down and write 50, 450 gallons. After that, he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures, about 900 bushels of wheat. And he said to them, take back your written acknowledgement of my obligation and write about 700 bushels. And his master praised the dishonest, unjust manager for acting shrewdly and prudently. For the sons of this age are shrewder and more prudent and more wiser to their own generation. So I tell you, make friends of yourselves by means of unrighteous mammon, so that when it fails, they that have favored you may receive and welcome you into ever everlasting habitations. This is the kind of main bit. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful in so much. And he who is dishonest and unjust in a very little thing is also dishonest in much. Therefore, if you've been faithful in the case of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust you true riches? And it says also, And if you have not been proved faithful in that which belongs to another man, who shall give you that which is your own? Yeah? So if you're not faithful in something which is another man's, how can he entrust you with what's your own? And I know there are many of us that have amazing dreams and amazing visions and amazing great things that God has for us. As I've written down here, if he can't trust you with your own vision, which is yet to be realized, yet to be seen, how then can he trust you with something which can be seen, somebody else's vision? Yeah? So if God can't trust you with working faithfully and, and dedicatedly in somebody else's vision, how can he trust you with something that he's given you? Yeah? Servanthood, the... the, the um, 
the, the attitude of servanthood is all about um, being faithful in something which is somebody else's so that God can actually give you your own. Yeah? Next slide. So faithfulness is the key. So it says, Moreover, it is essentially required of students that a man be found faithful. And, um, you know, that word steward is really, really big for me. You know, one thing I realized a few years ago is that ultimately we don't own anything. Yeah? We don't really own anything. Um, my family, my wife, she belongs to the Lord under my stewardship in a respect. My, my kids, they're actually Lord's you know, under my stewardship. My gifting is not really mine. It's only under my stewardship, yeah? Everything, my job, everything. And it's, again, it's, it's, it's a state of mind, really. And um, funny enough, I didn't write this down, but one of the words for worship is the word latreo. 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 Now it's really worship as a service. And what it's really trying to say is that everything we do should be done in that same attitude of worship. So your worship doesn't actually stop when it, you just, you know, you have a couple of songs, etc., your worship should extend in terms of the way that you serve others should be your worship. You know, the stand of, of your worship should be um, not only just what you do when you're actually worshipping, but how you live your life should be worship, yeah? service. So, um, and it says also, the next scripture, and the instructions which you've heard from me along many witnesses, transmit and entrust to reliable and faithful men who will be competent and qualified to teach others. So it says, commit them to faithful men who shall be able. And um, unfortunately, what we're getting a lot of the things these days is a lot of able men that are not faithful. Yeah. And the thing about ability is ability will open doors. You know, your gifts will make room for you, always will make room for you. But it's not about that. It's about your faithfulness because God is, as I was saying in a couple more slides, is that he's more interested in your character than your gift. Yeah, and that idea of serving, that idea of actually being selfless in your service, is is a great character builder, as well, and that's what he's really interested in. So, um, yeah, as I said, there's there's many people that, you know, they they stay interested in going to one church to do this, to do that, etc. Which is so cool, but what it is, it's not just about doing things, about your ability. But it's actually finding a place where you can actually serve somebody's vision. Not just do, just not, you know, just work as well. The word volunteer doesn't, is not in the Bible. Yeah, the word volunteer is not in the Bible. Somebody's going to turn to it now, I'm sure. Actually, it is. No, it's in, no, no, sir. You know, so, okay, now we're all volunteers. Everybody in this room is a volunteer. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you see, um, what, again, what I said in the beginning is let this heart be in you. Now, we can't afford to serve God with the attitude as a volunteer. We need to always serve him with the heart of a servant. Yeah. Now, a volunteer will always be thinking what I can do for you. Okay, I'll volunteer my services. A servant will be saying what needs to be done. Do you get that? A volunteer will be saying what can I do for you? So, you know, I know people that, you know, they've got a great gifting. They go to one church, they do it here, they go to one church. It's fantastic, it's great. And we need to use our gifts, of, of course. But the heart of a servant is more about what needs to be done. And sometimes that takes you out of your comfort zone. 
Yeah, it doesn't mean you've got to just do everything that you feel comfortable with. Sometimes it's things you don't feel comfortable with. As I said before, I've never felt comfortable with leadership. I don't, you know, I've, you know, I've never have done. But it's not about that. It's about what needs to be done. So, um, the only membership is fantastic, you know, and you know, but we're not members of a church. We're members of the body. Yeah, and the thing about it is, you know, in a secular aspect, you join, you become a member to find out what you can get from your membership. You know, and sometimes we carry that into church. We become a member of a church because this church is great. It can make me this. It can be do that. You know, the part, the preaching is great. The worship is great. All these sort of things is what it can do for me. But we are actually members of a body. A body, and the clue is in the title. Yeah. Because a body is functioning. So if you're a member of the body of Christ, you should be doing something. You should be, you should be doing something, not just there to get what you can get. So it's not about volunteering. It's not necessarily about being a member of a church, but a member of the body, so that we can all be progressing, moving forward. Hallelujah. Amen. So what are some of the benefits? Um, but I said it before, self-sacrificial service builds character. Yeah? So what is is more interested in our character than he is in our gifts because gifts will make room for you, but character will kill anything that you can. If you've got a bad character, then whatever you've done will always come crashing down at some point or will never really remain. And um, next one. Servant is the primary qualification for, for leadership. In, in, a, in a scripture that I read previously in, in um, uh, Philippians, it speaks about, uh, Christ becoming humble, you know, and that is a primary element of um, servanthood. That that sense of humility, humility, which is the Greek word, which is tapeneo or tapenu, to make low, to bring, to reduce to a level, um, to to assign a lower rank, to be to a base, to lower, to depress, to 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 one soul, to bring down to one pride. Um, to behave in an assuming manner, to be devoid of all haughtiness. So serving, or even leadership, really, is more about being humble than it is about putting yourself forward. And I'm telling you, um, if you are serving in any type of service, any type of service, as I said, especially when it involves people, you know, you it will be a humbling experience, I tell you. Because it's not about... Um, uh, Again, it's not about what you can do. It's not about um, who you are. It's about, about what he can be and do through you. You know, um, Obedience as well. Um, the Bible says that Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. You know? I certainly believe that the whole idea of him serving. And you know, as I said before, imagine serving people that you knew were actually going to be responsible for your death. All these sort of things, I believe, was contributed to his learning experience. Um, obedience. Also, um, servanthood builds character. As I said before, it's the character to carry the gift to fulfill the calling. And generally, the bigger the gift, the bigger the calling, the bigger the testing to produce the required character. You know, and I know you've, some of us have amazing, tremendous dreams. Uh, well, welcome to an amazing, tremendous servanthood experience. Amaz- welcome to... Um, a life of, of servitude. Yeah? Ultimately, as I said before, we don't own anything. We don't actually have anything. So, 
my, and I did say this before, but I'll say it again, my ability to serve somebody else's vision yeah, is exactly the same as my ability to serve my own vision because my vision is not my own. Do you get me? So I'm serving somebody else's vision and my ability to, to do that faithfully will show him how I can serve something which is inside me that nobody can see, which actually isn't mine anyway. It's his vision. So he can see by my serving somebody else's that he can faith, trust me with what he's given me as well. Yeah. So he says, if you haven't been, I've said this before, if you've not been pray, proved faithful in that which belongs to another, um, who shall give you that which is your own? And also, um, Matthew 20, 26, 27, now it shall be among you that whoever wishes to be great among you must be a servant. It says, and whosoever desires to be first among you must be your slave. Now, a primary um, uh, requirement of any leadership is that you go through a period of servanthood. And um, my thing is this, and I really believe the reason why that is because of leadership is such a great responsibility. You know, you've got people's lives in your, in a sense, in your hands, you know, in terms of what you can say into their lives. And God needs to be able to trust you to be able to do that. So he needs to, you need to be able to have that ability to serve somebody else's vision before you can actually, you know, be released into that situation. And also it says, whosoever, whoever wishes to be great must be a servant. And a key to greatness is servanthood. That ability to serve leads to greatness. That ability to go through all those things, the, the obedience, the humility, etc., leads to true greatness. Because true greatness isn't only just about what you've got in the, in the bank or what you've achieved as well. You know? um, it's what they say. You know, at the end of the day, when you're, you know, when you're under the earth and you've got your tombstone, they don't put on there that he was you know, a millionaire. They put your character. They put about what you, the person you were. You know? And that's what it's about. It's about the greatness of, your individ, of who you are. Um, and also, God also will exalt those who make themselves humble, you know. And those who have that, that heart to serve, God will do nothing. He, it's almost like he's obliged to do that because he's proven you, you know. And um, it's that kind of, that idea of being proven as well, which is what it's all about. You know, your, your gifting is amazing, but it's your character. And God wants to prove that so that he can exalt your gift and exalt you as well. Now, Luke 17, verse 7 to 10, says, Will any man of you who has a servant plowing or tending sheep say to him when he's coming from the field, get up at once and take your place at the table? Will you not instead tell, tell him, get my supper ready and gird yourself and serve me while I eat or drink? Eat and drink. Then afterwards you yourself shall eat and drink. Is he grateful and does he praise the servant because he did what he was ordered to do? Even so on your part, when you've done everything that was assigned and commanded you, saying, we are unworthy servants, possessing no merit, for we have done, so we have not gone beyond our obligation. We have merely done what was our duty to do. And it's quite a, quite a kind of tough scripture because it speaks about, you know, um, slave or the, the servant's been working all day in the field he comes in and the servant says fantastic you've been doing that but 
come and give me some food. Give me some food first and then you can eat. Yeah? Now, in our language, that seems a bit harsh. Okay? But service is not about what we think. It's about that faithfulness to serve. Yeah? And it says also, if you take all that into consideration, all that servant has done is what he's being commanded to do. You know, so if you're looking for um, kind of uh, thankfulness, you know, any kind of um, reward in this life, now it does come in this life because the Bible speaks about that. But our greater reward is the reward when we get over on the other side, as they say, where he says, "Good and good and you know, faithful servant." Yeah. So, as it says in the scripture, he's just done his duty. So when we've done everything, when we've gone beyond beyond the beyond you know at the end of the day everything we do will always be measured not measured but we always always have to realize what god did for us what jesus did for us he gave his all yeah and um it's for us to do our very best to work or to to do and give our all for what god has called us to do and um i just really believe that as i said i really sense the sense of excitement in the holy spirit when i was preparing this because you know, we have things like our building to come. Yeah, we've got our building. Amen. We've got our building to come. We've got our... And that's going to be a completely different experience. That's, you know, we've never had a bit of our own building. And it's going to be demanding of all of us. You know, and um, there's some people here in this that maybe do, are doing nothing at the moment. You know? I'm praying that as a result of this word, you might be doing 5%. There's some people that are doing 50%. I'm hoping that maybe as a result of this, you'll do 55%. Some are doing 90%, maybe 95%, but at the end of the day, we all need to do just that little bit more in serving him, in serving the vision that God has placed in this house so that we can see what God, what he has for us being realized. And um, it's a great place. It's a great thing that God has for us. But I just want to encourage everybody, and I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, this word has, has, has had has some resonance in your hearts in terms of now, what can I do more? You know, um, yeah, David said that he will not offer a sacrifice that costs him nothing. And to serve sacrificially, there has to be some cost somewhere. Um, and I'm praying that you, you hear the Holy Spirit in terms of what that cost is so that we can see the vision and the dream that this house has got being realized. Hallelujah. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 